Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. This is your home for inspiring conversations with women leading the way throughout the automotive spaces. I'm your host, Amanda Busick, and the power of this podcast is in the strength of this community. We believe that high tides rise all ships into each of you collaborating together to steer this ship. We see you, we recognize you, and we salute you. It's time to set sail. Another episode of Women Shifting Gears starts now. From submerging a canvas into a Swiss lake to dragging one through the Baja Desert, building wind tunnels and crafting a commission piece completely out of butterflies. Heidi Moraz's art goes far beyond in what meets the eyes. Heidi's unique and specialized approach in documenting important moments in motorsports history is what endears her to her clients and sees her work continuously celebrated throughout the world. Described as part eye candy, part history lesson, and part hide and seek, it's hard not to get lost for hours on end in one of Heidi's car collages. The Virginia-based artist joins the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings to talk her path in becoming an artist, her recent unveilings, and an upcoming piece I bet we all can't help falling in love with. Hint, hint. To check out Heidi's work, keep an eye on her website at HeidiMoraz.com. Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. And on this weekly episode, we have artist and documentarian Heidi Moraz join us from Great Falls, Virginia. And Heidi, when you hear the word artist, what all does that encompass for you? My art is a little bit different than the typical automotive art that you see. And that's because it documents and tells a story about a car. It's not just a single view. I've had pieces that have 3,000 elements in them. And each of those elements can tell a story. I call them golden nuggets of information. So if we want to talk about my art, it looks like an illustration or a painting of a car. But as you get closer, you realize there's so much more to it. And this storytelling I talk about is what the piece is made of. So the medium is sometimes the message. And the message is made out of historical documents. It could be magazine articles, racing programs, advertising about the car. So hopefully, you know, if I can gather that information, it tells the story from its inception all the way through to where it is today. When I was looking over your website, and granted, uh, unfortunately, I only see these in uh, two dimension at this point, but even on the American Icon uh, work that you did on the on the front fender, I saw uh, Now More Powerful, which I'm assuming was part of their advertising strategy back in the day. But it is uh, even the reflection from a viewer from a two-dimensional standpoint. I can only imagine what your viewers go through in person. Yeah, you know, my pieces are really meant to be approached because it's this shift in perspective where you're surprised by it when you first look at it. It's a car. And if you're an enthusiast, you might say, oh, well, that's a Porsche 906. But it's not till you get up close that all of a sudden this magic happens. Off camera, you told me you grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania. But when did you know, at what age did you say, I'm going to be an artist? Uh, You know what? Creativity is in my DNA. I think, as my mom said, I look at the world with a lot of color. You know, when I retell a story, I talk specifically about those visuals that maybe and details maybe other people didn't see. What was your earliest interactions with art? Earliest interaction, you know, I I, I painted Play-Doh, drawing, sketching. 
The first camera that I ever got was a Polaroid camera. And when I would take photographs, it would come out and it, you know, it instantly like magic sort of start to develop in front of your eyes. I would take a pen and start to scratch the emulsion and create what was like a impressionistic painting. Both of your parents immigrated to the U.S. You are first generation American. How much of your childhood impacted the way you view the world? Oh, in a big way. You know, uh, uh, my dad is from us in Germany and my mother was from Puerto Rico and I'm first generation. My brothers and sister like to say we're Germanicans, And um, <laughs> they, they thought it was really important to take us around the world and to meet our family overseas and to show us that the world was bigger than our backyard. My parents took me to the most incredible museums and cathedrals. And that was a big part of of where I am today. Looking in these museums from those eyes before you started your own journey as an artist, did you already see the history in art? You know, we had this coffee table book at home and I used to page through it. When you look at something that is a book size and then you go see it in person and it is the size of a wall, it's amazing how it affected, you know, it affected me. I mean, I, I could see these brush strokes that were size of my hand, and I was amazed by that. When was your first piece? But my first piece of automotive art actually was that American icon. Oh, really? Great. <laughs> that was the very first one. You know, when I first started doing automotive collage, you know, I decided that I wanted to tell these stories and use these magazines. And they were not quite as detailed. Like that American icon took me a half a day. And now my pieces actually can take up to a year and a half because there's a tremendous amount of research that goes into finding and telling these stories. And, you know, I, I try and talk to anybody, I interview anybody that has access or touched the car. It could have been a restorer, could have been a race car driver, could have been a race car driver's girlfriend. I mean, it, it's amazing what can be uncovered just by asking questions. You define uh, on your website, it defines art curated layers, which I found a fascinating way to uh, talk about all the different pieces that go into it. Which one is taking the most individual layers to create the story? I work in hierarchy of layers. And so with each piece, I'll start with sort of a broad brush. So imagine instead of paint, I use historically based paper. So I gather books and magazines and I sort of block in the color based on, it could be any car magazine that has to do with the brand. So that's layer one. Then the next layer is might be specific to the model. And then beyond that, it's specific to that chassis number. So there are thousands and each of these pieces may not be in the same color in the same size, and the same value, you know, it's a challenge to try and pull them together so that from afar, it looks like a really tight painting of a car. But I enjoy the challenge. So for me, it's, I get to hit off all of my passions, which is history. I get to research and, and find these documents and gather them. They, they become part of the dossier for the car. And then I get to talk to people and I, I find that part really engaging. I get to work on these things that are that are puzzling and are challenging intellectually to me. And then I get to share them with my clients and 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 the world. So I love I really love what I do. Your art is both uh, in public consumption and as you said, your clients on the private side. Do you ever get calls like 
months, years later, like, wow, Heidi, I just discovered this part. Because just looking at it from a visual standpoint on my side, you just see things like something else catches your eyes. Like, oh, wow, look at the fender there. Oh, wow, look at the wheel well. Like there's, I, I imagine you just have continuous conversations with your clients. Oh, it's so funny that you should say that. I hide myself in every piece, you know, because they text me maybe in the middle of the night and they'd say, I found you, you're on the hubcap. And I'd say, well, hmm. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but that's not me. So yeah, it's always fun to find things. Uh, Typically when I unveil a piece, I'll give my client three things to find. So Mm. something easy, something medium, and then something very challenging. And then I I hide myself. So that's fun. There's a a Lago Maggiore piece, which is the, uh, the Bugatti of the lake that underwater for 75 years. And, and for that one, I actually put my head on an old advertisement of a tire and so I made it easier to, to find me because people were saying that I had that I actually don't do that. <laughs> I had to prove it. That uh, the beneath the surface had a unique research part to it as well. What all went into the R and D side before you started that piece? The beneath the surface is the Bugatti 1925 Bugatti Brescia, and it's a, a really interesting story that has all these twists and turns. Supposedly, it was owned by a famous race car driver, Rene Dreyfus, who lost it in this drunken poker game to this gentleman who was driving it back to his home in Switzerland and couldn't pay the duty. So turns out to hide it for tax reason, it, it was put on a chain and they pushed it in this lake, but the chain rusted and broke and it rolled down to the bottom. It flipped on its side and, and the half of it that got stuck in the muck was literally preserved and the, and the part that was exposed to the water turned into what was like a skeleton. And fast forward to like 1968, and they then decided they were going to go down and find it. And the dive master wrote in the book that day he had found this lost Bugatti. And then it became this underwater dive destination. And then unfortunately, this young man was killed on the banks of Ascona, and they decided that they were going to raise this car to fund a foundation in his name. So it it was a big challenge and they needed to know because there would be a huge cost to doing this. Was it worthy to bring it up? Because it took a year and a half to, you know, to pull this thing out of the water. They had to build a platform. They had to dive. They could only dive for 30 minutes at a time. They had to dig it, you know, dig it out from underwater. It was dark. And and so this gentleman who I interviewed, Hans Mahdi, showed these divers where to look on the car because the it turned out that the, the chassis plate had been taken off. And they don't know when that happened, but it ended up on another car in Japan. Wow. Yeah. And so we all know now that that, that car in Japan could not be Sure. And so they raised it. When they pulled it out, it actually still had air in its tires. It's a crazy story. They sold it at Retromobile and my client, Peter Mullen, bought it. And I was commissioned to tell the story of this car. It was a 10-year anniversary of its raising. And so I thought, how do I tell that story in a way that shows this sublime essence of it? And I decided that what I was going to do was paint this canvas out of water-soluble materials take it to the lake. And the father of the boy who had been the dive master took this canvas down in the water and let it wash away part of this water-soluble ink. And much like the car, nature would have a hand in its creation. And so that became the background of my uh, of that piece. And then the history and all the photos and, and everything else was built on top of that. That car is what changed my art. It wasn't just about the story. It was 
about more, that I can imbue and ingrain this these bits of history into my pieces. For example, I, I then did the Porsche 906, which was the very first car Porsche designed in a wind tunnel. And how do you share that story? So my team and I, we built a wind tunnel. We stuffed the chambers of the wind tunnel with this very fine pigmented orange paint. And we put a exact model of the car inside and we blew, we turned it on and we blew this powdered pigment over the shape of the car and at the back end captured it with a prepped canvas. And so that became the background of Shape by the Wind. It almost adds an emotional kind of human layer to it. Yes, exactly. And it moves forward. You know, you met Jason. I'm doing a piece for him called the Glickenhaus Boot, which is a modern version of the Baja Boot that Steve McQueen owned. And for that, we went down to the Nora 1000 and I was in a chase vehicle and we dragged the canvas thousand miles through this race. It was really wild. And at night, the crew would pit on it and wipe their grimy hands on it. So it has imbued and ingrained in it, not just this silt, this crazy silt that creates these clouds and plumes that they drive through, but also the mechanics that were working on the car. So it's pretty exciting. So now that's the idea is to have part of this process or the racing or whatever it might be put into these pieces. On your one of the quotes that defines your work, part eye candy, part history, part hide and seek. The idea that your artwork is an adventure. How core is that to your mission? So my mission really is to document and share these stories before they're lost or forgotten. And as you know, in interviewing, you know, these race car drivers and and designers and manufacturers, a lot of them are passing away. And when they're gone, we don't have the ability to ask questions anymore. And so I find that by doing this, I'm sort of creating, I don't know, lasting retrospect of these cars on a single canvas. And by doing that and by getting people excited, by showing them art in this new way, in this new avenue, I'm delivering this knowledge that then can be carried forward. For example, for the 906, the Porsche 906, there are images in there of the car racing at all these different racetracks. And there's actually a photograph in it of it flipped over traversing a ravine. And there are thousands of images in that piece. There's so many different things that you can pull from that. You just have to step in and spend a little time. It's not a linear story because these pieces will pop out at you as you look at different parts of it. But the information is there. And For me, I find that really exciting because I have girlfriends that say to me, really, do you love cars? And I say, absolutely, yes. And I believe that through my art, I can make people want to know more and enjoy finding out these stories. What brought you to automotive? You know, when I was younger, my dad would take me to these different car shows. They were always, you know, the modern cars, but he would point out the styling to me and I loved that. When I first got out of college, I didn't want to be a starving artist. And I started to do creative work. I started a a creative design business. And automotive was uh, an industry that I was in very deep. And I really, really enjoyed it. It wasn't until my kids were raised and uh, I got back into art that I, I got into the history 
of the cars. And that, you know, part of what I did back then was share stories. I just did them in a creative way, whether it be marketing or, you know, talking about a new model. And, you know, you fast forward and here I am doing the same thing. But the difference is there's a lot more research that's involved because these cars have a life. Some of the cars I've worked on are from the 1930s up to some modern cars, but still from the impetus of what creates a model to it being delivered to the public, there's a big story there. Being an artist, it's one of those dream careers. Obviously, it takes talent, but artist, actor, musician, these are things that that people dream of uh, when they're little. At what point, you're at the doctor's office and it asks you to list your occupation. At what point did you start writing artists? So I put put art director for for the longest time. Now I put artist. Art is a tough thing because unless if you've got a commission or you have sponsors, you're not getting paid. So you're you're doing something that you love because you're passionate about it. And you hope that there's viewers out there that enjoy it and, and hopefully will purchase your work. For me, it's about the connection with people and telling these stories. I mean, I, I feel like I have found my calling and I am in a place right now that I just couldn't be happier about what it is that I do and, and been very lucky to work with some incredible clients that have collections that would just blow your mind. You talk about the preservation of cars or moments or memories that as we're all on this one-way ticket together. Is, is there a certain car or a certain story that you must capture that is in your mind that you must do? You know, every now and then what will happen is I will hear a story, whether it's from my friends in the auction world or people in the industry will say to me, oh, my God, Heidi, have you heard about so-and-so? And so a couple of years ago, there was a find of the BMW 507. And it turned out that it was Elvis's car. And if you heard this story, this is a good oh, one. This is exciting. I'm just like, oh, it's a good one. Yeah. Elvis was given this car when he was in the army in Germany, he was drafted and BMW had had came out with their 507, which is this gorgeous, beautiful sports car. And they gave it to him because they knew, you know, wow, he's going to drive it around and we're going to get some looks, lots of photographs with it. Well, it was in this off-white color and he would go into wherever he was, whatever he was going to be doing, he'd come back out and there would be Women would take their lipstick and write their telephone number on the car, call me. And I mean, it would happen over and over and over again. And lipstick is made out of wax with a pigment. And it is literally impossible to get off because what happens is you start to wipe it. Now it smears it all over. So he decided that he wanted to have the car painted red. He got really tired of having to clean his car and all these lipstick telephone numbers on it. And so he had it painted red. It turned out the BMW then, they they restored this car and they brought it to Pebble Beach. And I thought, well, how would I tell that story? So every soldier gets a handgun. And so I thought, well, why don't I use bullet casings? And instead of a lipstick holder, and so I'd put the a lipstick inside the bullet casings and I would create the car out of lipstick. But that is one of the pieces that's where the medium is the message. And the art is in the artifact. And the art is in the artifact. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's interesting. So dragging a canvas in, in the desert, burying a canvas 
um, in Bordeaux, France, putting one in a lake. You know, I've got some clients that we're going to be doing some fun things. It's it seems the crazier ideas I get, <laughs> um, the the more interest people have in seeing the work. And one of the pieces recently that I just unveiled was the Porsche 917, which is a story basically about this crazy fast race car that was a beast, but it was very uncontrollable. And it had this tendency to wander along the straights at speed. And at Le Mans in 1969, on the very first um, lap, a privateer crashed and died in it. But they knew that this car was powerful. It could go speeds of basically F1 cars to over 230 some miles an hour, but their factory drivers didn't even want to drive it because it was so hard to control. So they take it to this track in Austria and the car goes around a couple of times and it was a warm day and there were these clouds of gnats. I don't know if you've ever walked through one of them, but they're very light bugs. And the, and the car comes back into the pit and the chief engineer notices that there are dead gnats everywhere on the car, but the rear wing. So he immediately has this epiphany that he knows what's wrong with it. Prior to that, they thought it might've been chassis flex. And he realized, nope, this is an aerodynamic problem and I know how to solve it. He gets out these sheets of aluminum and duct tape and creates this sort of wedge in the back. And the car goes out the next morning and it is five seconds faster, which is equivalent to like 50 horsepower. It was crazy. And that car would then go on to become one of the greatest race cars of all time. It would win Le Mans in 70 and 71. They changed the FIA rules. And so, and there was a a record that was maintained until 2010. That's how crazy wild fast that car was. And so what I did was I created a piece that was made out of insects and it's called aerodynamics by entomology. And it's made out of a thousand plus butterflies and insects. And it represents the symbolism of this metamorphosis that had to happen for this car to mature. And also because they're insects, a bug, a bug with wings is an insect. And to create livery, I had to do something that had color. So I picked butterflies and moths and, and there's chrysalis in there to show change. And butterflies have this very short life cycle. And as did, you know, the 917. You've been quoted as saying the big picture is nothing without details. When you approach a piece or in your mind as you're going through it, what comes first, the detail or the picture? Oh, that's a very good question. The very first thing I do is I interview the client about the car. And so I find out what they know. And then I look at the at, in the dossier and the file that they have on the car. So I start to ideate about, you know, the story. What What's important in this story? I guess it's that is like which came first, the chicken or the egg? They're evolving at the same time. And sometimes, and I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I'll go to sleep thinking about something. And then I wake up in the morning and wow, have this, you know, it's sort of worked itself out in my mind. And then I'll, I'll play off of that. There's a, a series that I call Pedal to the Metal, which is a, it's a play on words. And that came about because I was meeting with a client at the Quail and his wife was there and he said, you know, Heidi, I would love to commission you to, to do another piece, but my wife will not let me hang any automotive art in the house. And mm. um, my garage is full. So I said, hmm, I will bet you that I can create art that you will be proud of and will be a conversation piece. And both of you will love it. 
when you first look at it, you think it is this botanical print and you don't think anything beyond it. But then all of a sudden, if you look closer, the flower is made out of the car. It's a kaleidoscope of the car itself. And then, you know, where there would be the plate information of these botanical prints, instead, it tells you information about the car. So that's how that started was uh, this bet. Before we wrap, I do want to talk about uh, the documentary that uh, you're currently working on, Automotive Artifacts. Uh, What's all going behind the scenes there? Uh, Well, thanks for asking about that. Automotive Artifacts basically follows me around in process and talking to people. And it's just it's another way to share this information and and show, you know, why these certain cars are important. And I think you get to see and hear these people and they get to share their accomplishments or their experiences in in a more visceral way. They have the ability to kind of take us back into their time. And boy, that's that that's something that is is magical. I recently interviewed Kim Barnes and she had mentioned you and the friendship that you guys have. What do women in automotive, how did the how does that enhance your life? You know, I said Kim Barnes is is my twin um, from a different mister. <laughs> Women in this field, it's just wonderful to see it grow and to find like-minded people. Here, I want to thank Cindy Sisson because she is behind Shifting Gears and she is on a mission to to open this world up and open the eyes of of all women to see that this is something that we can all enjoy. And whether it be at a meeting up with women at a concourse, car event, or you know, talking on the phone, or whatever it might be, we are we, it, we seem to be very supportive, and and that's a very good thing. Heidi Moraz on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. It is time for the hot lap. Ooh, the hot lap. Okay. Heidi, you are going on a road trip. Where are you headed? So, you know, I'm working on the the Baja boot and the SCG boot. So we're I'm headed down to the Baja, California, but I would be in the original boot. Yeah, I would take Steve McQueen with me. Yes, of course. That would be cool. Think about talking to Steve McQueen about racing. And I actually would probably talk to him about Lamar. Yes. It would be quite a conversation. I would like to be a fly in that car or in the oh. seat viewing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if there was a radio in the original boot, but what kind oh, of Yeah, it was so uh, I would have a mixtape if there was. You know, at some point, Stefan Wolf, born to be wild, would come on and I just crank it, maybe almost blow the speakers out. All right, you're in the Baja with Steve McQueen in the boot. Stefan Wolf's on the radio. Uh, what snack are you taking with you? Oh, snack. Hmm. Pork rinds. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That's a that's a girl after my southern heart right there. Yeah, pork rinds and Coca Cola. <laughs> well, Heidi, this has been an absolute treat. I want to finish with because uh, I know sometimes when we're in the entertainment sphere or in these dream careers, a lot of times it's it's hard to. Uh, kind of know that moment that you've arrived or known that uh, that this is what uh, you're passionate about and actually what people uh, pay you to do. So I want to know what's the greatest compliment you've received? You know, I unveiled a piece to a client and he had tears in his eyes. And I think that that, this was a car that was very near and dear to him and was part of his childhood. And When I saw that, how moved he was by that piece, I, 
to me, that's, there's no greater compliment than that. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. Hemmings, your marketplace for the car collector enthusiast since 1954. This podcast is produced by GS Events.